about the Baltimore Orioles as we take you to the All-Star break. And Jeff, this time around, the All-Star break means its usual festivities, the Midsummer Classic this year in Denver, Home Run Derby, and now the MLB Draft as they try and make it a bigger event, something I think it's gotten bigger naturally over the years, but now it has an opportunity, I think, to really take center stage with really nothing else going on in the sports world besides All-Star festivities. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that they're doing this. And I'm glad that they are, that it's after the College World Series and that it's after the the regionals and all the, the college baseball playoffs because it seemed like it, it was tough for the players. It was so distracting because they're worried about where, where am I going to get drafted? How's all this going to go? And meanwhile, they're also focusing a lot of them on playing uh, in the playoffs, be it the College World Series or regionals or super regionals or what have you. But I, I think it's great. And I feel like last year I was paying a lot more closer attention to the draft. I think we all were just because the Orioles were picking number two and we didn't have any baseball that we were doing at the time. So I think we were all really locked in and I'm glad that they're promoting this. And it's great to, to see that this year's draft has a lot of really talented players. You got a mix of college guys, both on the offensive side and you got like Henry Davis. And then you have a ton of talented high school players as well. Unlike some years where you, you figured, I think, two years ago that Adley Rushman was going to be number one overall. And I think all of us figured that last year Spencer Torkelson was going to be the number one overall pick. This year, it's not nearly as clear. And so I think that makes it a little bit more interesting and should make uh, this year's uh, Major League Baseball draft in that first round all the more fun. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And we'll see what the Orioles do. They're sitting there at five. Unlike the previous few years, they actually have to wait and see what four teams in front of them will do. But as going back to your point, as Michael Ice pointed out to us in our last edition of Inside the Yard, there was nothing worse than drafting a player who's in the College World Series and then holding your breath throughout that tournament because you're hoping nothing happens to that player. But uh, we'll see how it all shakes out now. I think it's a great opportunity for baseball to really promote this event. And I should also mention uh, we have the uh, Futures game, which is always annually at this time. And, of course, this year it will feature the number one overall pick from 2019 in Adley Rutschman. So a lot of exciting things between Adley there, Trey Mancini, home run derby, and of course the Orioles, I don't care what anyone says, they have the best center fielder in the American League in Cedric Mullins participating in the 91st All-Star Game. But on our show today, we're going to talk to Jim Callis, who is the definitive expert in all things draft-related from MLBPipeline.com. We'll get a full breakdown of the draft. We'll get his opinion on what the Orioles could do and should do at five. And then we're going to talk to Big Ben McDonald, our colleague at uh, Masson, who uh, knows this as much as anybody just because he covers and follows college baseball so much and SEC baseball so much. And so many of those names are at the top of most mock drafts. So a big show coming up as we continue our draft coverage here on Inside the Yard. But first, I want to tell you about the Orioles ticket marketplace. Get all the best Orioles ticket deals in one place, including single game tickets, ticket packs, special offers and more. We got you covered at the Orioles ticket marketplace. This is your place to score exclusive deals. So check back often for the latest opportunities. Don't wait to purchase last minute at the box office. Tickets, ticket prices are the same at Orioles.com slash tickets to purchase. The Orioles! 
Birdland Experience knows game with the convenience and privacy of your very own suite. A variety of affordable single-game suites throughout the ballpark are available. Enjoy exclusive access to the game with climate-controlled interior seating, a private restroom, and comfortable outside seating. Visit Orioles.com slash suites for more information. All right, well, I'm really fired up right now because the man of the hour is with us, Jim Callis of MLBPipeline.com. And, Jim, we are now days away from the draft. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, glad to be here. I, I, I wish I knew who the Orioles were picking at five for sure, but I, I'm still working on that one. So. Well, I think, you know, we, we've seen Michael Elias roaming the hallways a lot recently, and he's been, you know, pretty close to the vest, as you might imagine. He's not going to tell a couple of Orioles broadcasters, but do you like the draft as far as the depth of it is concerned, the first, I don't know, 10, 15 possible picks? Yeah, I mean – I don't think the second half of the first round is particularly deep, and I don't think there's much consensus, but I do think Baltimore is in a really good spot at five because to me, there's kind of a top tier of about eight players or so. Um, you know, it's not one of these drafts where you're picking fifth and there's a clear top three and you don't know what you're going to do. So they should get a pretty good player at five. You know, I think the only two guys who probably have no chance of getting to them are the two best players in the draft uh, Marcelo Meyer, who's a high school shortstop from California. And Jack Leiter, uh, the right-handed pitcher from Vanderbilt, but almost anybody else could get to number five. So it'll be interesting to see who, who does get to them. Jim, what do you make of a, a couple of the, the high school players that the Orioles are, are looking at? And you know, Brady House and Phil Watson are, are two that have shown up on a bunch of the mocks. Is, is two that could possibly get to the Orioles? Seems like guys that Mike Elias is pretty interested in. What can you tell us about both of them? Yeah, the, the Orioles have scouted both those guys heavily. You know, my it's it's funny because. Whenever the GM's seen at any kind of amateur game, it's like, oh, that team's on that guy. And, and I do think they're interested in them. But, but Mike has been seen scouting Brady House and, and Cleo Watson. You know, there, there's, there's four elite shortstops, high school shortstops in this year's draft. You know, I mentioned Marcelo Meyer. And you mentioned Brady House from Georgia, Cleo Watson from North Carolina. And there's also Jordan Lawler from Texas who could or could not get to five. And I think he'd probably have to be in the Orioles mix too if he were. And it's interesting. I mean, if you're comparing those four guys to each other, I think Meyer's got the highest floor and we've rated him as the best hitter and the best defender in this year's draft. I think Lawler comes from the same area of the country as Bobby Wood Jr. So he gets compared to him a lot and he's got that five tool potential. Um, I don't think his tools are as loud as Bobby Wood Jr.'s, but he's more explosive than, than Meyer. And he probably has the highest ceilings of the shortstops. And then with Brady House, you know, we rated him as the best power hitter in this year's draft, college or high school. Um, you know, he, he's had a nice spring. He, he's, you know, it's interesting because he was really good on the showcase circuit as an underclassman two years ago. And everybody was, was, you know, he was as famous as almost any high school player going into last year's showcase circuit. And then I think he tried to do a little too much and he struggled, but he's, he's really righted the ship this spring. He's looked a little quicker. He, he's the biggest of those guys and probably the most likely to move. But I think he's got a chance to stay at shortstop, you know, might be a third baseman in the long run. And then Cleo Watson was probably the clear fourth of those guys coming into the year. You know, he was more in that kind of 11 to 20 range in the top 10. And he's just gotten, you know, better in all phases of the game. He's a little bit quicker, a little bit stronger. He's hitting the ball more consistently, more authority, playing a better shortstop. He's got a chance to have above average tools across the board. And he's probably the fastest of those shortstops. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I think any of those high school shortstops could be in play for Baltimore if they get to him. Jim, let's talk about Kumar Rocker. And we talked a year ago post uh, the 2020 draft, and I think most just fun speculation was that Rocker would go one based on what he did as a freshman and through a very small sample size as a sophomore. And statistically this year, he was a really good pitcher. Take away that final game of the season 
why has he dropped in all these mocks? And I get not being number one overall, but but why some seven, eight, nine? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's so interesting. I think he came into the year, as you pointed out, you know, as, as the most, you know, he, he was number one on our prospect list coming into the year. You know, he had the better, best track record of anybody. He was so good as a freshman. Um, he was the most famous guy in, in the draft because everything he did as a freshman. But it was never, you know, it wasn't like a Steven Strasburg situation or not a pitcher, but like an Adley Rutschman situation where it was Adley Rutschman and everybody else. It was never Kumar and everybody else. It was always Kumar as part of that top group. And I think the top group has expanded a little bit to, to eight players, like I said. And it's funny because on one hand, so you have fans. I think a lot of fans, like every time we do a mock draft, are shocked that Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter aren't one and two. And they, they just can't believe it. Like Pirates fans get mad every time we don't project them to take a Vanderbilt pitcher. And, and they don't realize that the Kumar's good. But he was never, like I said, had shoulders but everybody else. And then I think from the scouting standpoint, I think he's gotten nitpicked a little bit, to be honest. You know, the College World Series performance really doesn't affect anything. And to be fair to Kumar, he was pitching on short rest his last two times out. And in all three starts, if, if people watch the games, his defense did not play well behind him. Um, they, they were not helping him at all. So, I mean, it wasn't Kumar. He wasn't in a situation where he was going to be his best anyway. But you know, so I, I think, you know, you can nitpick Kumar and, you know, his velocity fluctuated a little bit at times this year. You know, he's not, you know, like the guy you saw in the 19 strikeout, no hitter against Duke as a freshman, where he's 95, 97 with, with a wipeout slider every time out. You know, if you nitpick him, you wonder a little bit about the slider. Great strikeout pitch in college, but it's more of a chase pitch than a pitch he beats guys with in the strike zone. So what's that going to play? How, how's it going to play against, say, big league hitters? So, you know, didn't, and those types of things, you know, when you're under the microscope as long as he is, you get nitpicked. But I also now, so I almost feel like the, the fans have too high expectations for him and the scouts are maybe slightly harsh on him because he's been under the microscope so, so long, but I mean, he's still a big physical pitcher with good stuff and you, and you have to give him credit. I mean, that guy has pitched in a lot of big games for Vanderbilt. He won almost all of them except for the final one when he was pitching on, on shorter rest than he'd ever pitched before against Mississippi state. And that guy takes the ball and he competes and that guy wins. So I don't, you know, I don't think it's so much that he slid. I just think he's not quite as good. He's not head and shoulders of everybody like fans think he is. And all that said, I don't think the Royals are going to take him at five. I, I think I would be surprised if the Royals took him at five. I think it's more like maybe Boston takes him at four, but I think it's more likely he goes in that six, seven, eight range. Allie Rutschman a couple years ago was taken and everyone thinking this guy is going to be the Royals catcher of the future, but there is a really good catcher in Henry Davis with, Louisville, who had a tremendous year in the ACC. A lot of fans may not understand, well, we just took a great catcher two years ago. Why should the Orioles take Henry Davis if he's still on the board at five? Yeah, and I think there's a good chance that they would do that too. Um, I, think, I think in a perfect world, the Orioles would love to get Jack Leiter at five. And I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think he gets past, past Boston and Texas may take him at two. But Henry Davis, I could see – you know, being an obvious pick for them. I, I think in a perfect world, they'd like to have a college guy. They'd probably prefer a bat. And, and the only college bat that's, that's, that's worthy going the top five picks on talent would be Henry Davis. He's, you know, he's got a chance to be solid to plus hitter, solid to plus power, cannon arm. Depending on what adjective you want to use, he can be, he's a little shaky as a receiver. He needs some work behind the plate. And, and I've been asked this question a bunch 
you know, by Orioles fans, like who see this in mocks, like, why would we take another catcher? You know? And, and the reason is there's a couple reasons. One, if you think he's the best available player, you don't play games with the top five pick, you take the best available player. Two, of course, guys can move positions. But even if he could let's say he couldn't move positions, if you developed two all-star caliber catchers, you could, you could either A, have them split time behind the plate and DH and get more out of their bats that way because it wouldn't be wound, you know, worn down as much at catching. Or, or you could trade one of them for a ton. So it's like you, there's never a problem where, oh, we have too many players – and Adley's a star, so Henry's stuck in AAA. It doesn't work that way. But 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 what I think would, would make sense to me, when I see a catcher who's got a really good bat, but there's questions about his defense, and, and there weren't with Adley. Adley's got a really good bat, but Adley's also a potential gold glove catcher. But a guy like Henry Davis, to me, I would maximize the bat. I, you know, I think if you keep Henry Davis or you know, Kyle Schwarber would be another example of that type of catcher. You know, like, yeah, they'll work at it. I think Henry Davis has got the makeup and he'll work and he can maybe become an adequate or an average catcher, but that's going to take extra time in the minor leagues and just the demands of catching take a toll on your bat. So if you, if you keep Henry Davis a catcher, you know, you're, you're not going to get as much out of the bat. He's not going to be in the lineup as much. And it's going to take longer to get to big leagues. If, if, if I were the Orioles, so I'm sure Michael Elias will be, be listening to this. If I were the Orioles and I took Henry Davis, honestly, I would maybe look at him a catcher a little bit but I would move him to third base or, or an outfield corner. He, he's got a well above average arm. He, he moves well enough. I, I don't know if he could play third, but you could try him there. I think he could definitely play an outfield corner. And I'd rather have his bat in my lineup for 140 games at full strength than say at hundred games with, with the catching wearing it down. So like to me, again, I mean, the Orioles aren't asking me, but if, if I thought Henry Davis was the best guy on the board, I would just take him and my lineup of the future would probably have, you know, Adley catching and, and Henry Davis were batting right behind him and, and playing right field. Such a wear-out position through a Baltimore summer. I, you know, I saw with Matt Weeders, and I, you know, who knows what he would have been if he was playing a handful of games at DH and first base and, and everything else. And and Adley's playing a ton of first base right now in Double A Bowie, and by all accounts, has handled himself pretty well there. He's hit ten home runs as a first baseman or DH so far this this season in the minor leagues. Uh, there's two college outfield bats that have been linked to the Orioles: Cowser from Sam Houston State and Freelich from Boston College. Now, I don't know if you think those are top five talents, but how good are those two outfielders and how quickly could they get to the major leagues? Yeah, it's on pure talent. I don't think they're top five picks, but I've heard those names too, because there's, there's some thought that the Orioles could do something similar to what they did last year when they took Heston Kerstad, who was a top, you know, top 10 talent. They took him to number two, saved some money and used that to spend on other guys. So, so I, and I've heard, Kowser and Frelick as the two college bat names in that scenario, but they're both kind of similar. Um, and, and they are probably, you know, Henry Davis is the best college position player available. Kowser, Frelick, and for some UCLA shortstop, Matt McLean would be the next tier of college bats. And then after that, there's going to be more taken in the first round. There's no consensus on who like the number five guy should be. It's the college bat situation. It's a mess after those guys. So the difference, you know, both those guys are center fielders. They're both two of the better hitters in this year's draft. I think the biggest difference between them is Frelick's like maybe a half step quicker, maybe a full grade quick. You know, he, he, he has, he could have well above average, maybe plus plus speed. And Kowser is more of a plus runner, but Kowser has more power. It's at least average, maybe solid. If you really like him, he drives the ball more than Frelick. So me personally, I like Kowser more than Frelick. 
because he, he still runs. He doesn't run as fast as Frolic, but he's a plus runner. He can play center field. He can hit. And, and like I said, I think he's going to have more impact at the plate than Frelick will. So I would take him over Frelick if it were me. I think the industry as a whole slightly favors Frelick. So I, I'm in the minority on that one. And I feel like I've heard Kowser's name a little bit more recently than Frelick's to Boston. I mean, to, to Baltimore at five if they do a deal. But, but I have heard both those names in play. You look at the two big pitcher names in, in Rocker and Lighter. That's who everybody's talking about. But there's a high school pitcher named Jackson Job, who it sounds like might have the best stuff of any of those three. And last year, it seemed like that the Orioles might try and get Fitzko if he was available. He never got to the Orioles with that pick. Is there any chance that you could maybe see the Orioles – pull the trigger on a high school pitcher in Jackson Job, who's got great stuff, but obviously hasn't pitched in the SEC like a guy like Rocky or a rocker or lighter. I just haven't heard that. I mean, it, it makes sense. You, you laid that all out very well. And I've talked a lot about him and, and you hit all my talking points on him almost perfectly. Yeah. If you, if you're just grading out, you know, pure pitches and control and command, he grades better than Jack lighter or Kumar rocker Jackson Job does. And he's, He's got, I think he's got the best slider in the draft, even better than Kumar's. He's, he's 92, 96. He's got a really good changeup, you know, especially for a high school kid. He's athletic. He plays shortstop. The delivery works, all that. And, and like you point out, you know, high school pitchers come with risk. And while he, you know, he grades out better if you're just doing pitches and stuff compared to lighter and rocker, they've proven themselves in the SEC, which is a far higher level competition than Oklahoma high school baseball. They tied for the NCAA division with one strikeout lead. Um, they both stayed healthier through age 21. You know, Job's only 18. So, you know, so that's different. I just have not heard any indication that the Orioles would take Jackson Job at five. Like, it sounds like I think Jackson Job, the Tigers could take him at three. And if he doesn't, then I think he's kind of going in the, the seven to 11 range. Jim, when you look at the Orioles system right now, as we enter this draft phase and then eventually a trade deadline phase, What's the system look like to you, assuming that just for pure unfortunate circumstances, Heston Kerstad gets healthy here and can play baseball at some point in the next year or so? Uh, Adley and the year Grayson Rodriguez is having, Deal Hall was having before he got injured, a, a little bit of a minor injury that they're being careful with. And, and right on down the line, and they're getting some great pitching performances right now from the Blaine Knights of the world and the, and, and the Kyle Bradishes of the world. Just your sense of the depth of the uh, system right now. Yeah, no, I think the system's as strong as it's been in quite a while. I mean, you can make a case. Well, I actually, I, I mean, on our top 100 prospect list, Adley's number two, but Wander Franco's in the big league. So I was going to say, you can make a case that Adley Rutschman is the best prospect in the minors, and he is. I mean, now that Wander's up in the big leagues, I think you can make a case that Grayson Rodriguez is the best pitching prospect in the minors. Um, you know, it's been unfortunate that Kerstad's been sick, but, you know, if you assume he returns to health, I mean, that's a guy who hit – from day one in the SEC, even as a freshman, I think he's going to be a big power hitter. And you mentioned D.L. Hall is upside. You know, Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg are two more position players um, who are doing really good. There's pitching depth. So I think the system looks really good. I, I, you know, we ranked the farm systems in the preseason. We might have had the Orioles around fifth. I don't even remember. And then guys have been promoted or graduated off some of our lists. We haven't updated that in a while. But, I mean, it is one of the better farm systems in baseball. And, you know, I don't think – I really don't know how, you know, I don't even know who the number two, one, two punch would be, but there's not a better position player pitcher combo anywhere in the minors than, than, than Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez. 
Tim, last one for me. The the bond between having a great minor league system and being able to translate that to the major leagues and being able to put wins together. You know, you see teams like the Rays do it very successfully, but do you think that the group that the Orioles have right now is going to be able to sustain itself for a long period of time and that the apparatus that they have put together is going to consistently produce a winner, say, like a team like the Tampa Bay Rays has been able to do? Yeah, I think you, you can definitely see the cornerstones in place to, to have that happen. Um, you know, they, they've really built the farm system. I mean, look, not all these guys are going to make it. You know, there's no such thing as a, as a can't miss prospect. But I do know for the teams that have the very best farm systems, you're going back to my days of Baseball America, there is a correlation, I mean, between that and winning. I mean, there are rare exceptions where there's a highly ranked farm system and you're like, geez, what, you know, what happened there? But almost all of them, I mean, you go back to when Michael asked with the Astros. I mean, the Astros had, had, you know, they had the worst team in baseball for three years running, but they also built up a farm system that was ranked as the best in baseball. And then, you know, they've been, you know, they turned around really quick, you know, and, and a lot of times too, I think those teams could tend like a year ahead of schedule. Like, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but like maybe Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez are starring for the 2022 Baltimore Orioles and, and they make a run at a wild card. Um, you know, you know, I mean, you, you, like those systems, it just seems to happen a year ahead of schedule. I, I think the one thing that works against the Orioles a little bit is still a tough division. I mean, you got the Yankees who can spend as much as anybody. You got the Red Sox who can spend as much as anybody. You've got the Rays who, who spend more efficiently than anybody. And just like, as you noted, win year after year. And the Blue Jays have a great young nucleus too. So that, that to me is like the biggest impediment isn't so much. I can see the pieces of building a playoff team are there and they're coming together and they're advancing through the minors. And I think Gunnar Henderson's flying under the radar a little bit right now, but I think Gunnar Henderson has a chance to be really, really good. Um, but, but it's the AL East may, you know, may make them wait another year you know, on top of when, when maybe they'd be ready, but no, it's, I think things are definitely looking up. Gunnar with his first home run yesterday and high a ball. So a good sign there for a 19 year old. And we'll end on this, Jim. Do you want to make a prediction at five right now? We're about four days away. As we yeah. record. Yeah. And, and I, I, I reserve the right that when you see my final mock on, on Saturday and Sunday, it'll probably change. I think they wind up with Henry Davis. Um, I think they wind up with Henry Davis at, at five. It'll be interesting though. Cause I could also see scenarios where he goes four, but, but I'll say Henry Davis from Louisville at five. And, and then all, all the Orioles fans, even though we addressed it here, will ask, how do we just draft another catcher? But, um, you know, as we explained, it would make, still make a lot of sense. Awesome. Jim Callis, get some sleep. We have a big week in front of you. Uh, I will try. I will try. Thanks, guys. The Junior Orioles Dugout Club is now Kids Cheer Free Plus, presented by Baltimore-area Chick-fil-A restaurants. It is the all-new Orioles Kids Club for fans 14 and under. For just $30, each club membership includes a limited edition cap, face mask, lanyard, and membership card, plus all members receive a ticket voucher for four free tickets to any select classic or value game. Purchase your membership now at orioles.com slash kids free plus. All right, Jeff, we'll join us right now, our friend and colleague, the one and only Ben McDonald. And Big Ben, before we get into some draft specifics, uh, you went number one overall in 1989. You follow the college game as closely as anybody you cover it for ESPN. And I really see the draft moving to the all-star festivities as a great opportunity for baseball. Uh, as the college game has grown and it's gotten more and more popular on television and 
you know, for those who maybe live in other parts of the country, I don't think they fully grasp how popular college baseball is in SEC country. But I really see this as a great opportunity to grow the popularity of the draft and have fans who've already gotten more in tune with following prospects a lot over the last 15, 20 years, being able to follow a career of a college player, take an early draft, and then follow that player through a minor league system and then eventually the big leagues. Yeah, no, I, you're right. I mean, the college game continues to grow and the popularity of the game obviously continues to grow too. And when you talk about the Southeast, you talk about the Southeastern Conference, you know, it's the top college conference out there for, for college baseball. And the crowds, I mean, I think people would be surprised, especially people in the Northeast and around the country. You go down to Mississippi State and there's 14,000 for a ball game on the weekend. Uh, Ole Miss, there's 11,000. LSU, there's 11 or 12,000. South Carolina, when they're playing well, is big time crowds too. And there are other big crowds around the country. University of Texas, can get some big crowds from time to time, too. But it's amazing. And, look, the cool thing about what we're seeing now is more and more, I think, MLB people are investing more in the college game because we're starting to see on Major League Baseball rosters this year, again, 60% of the Major League Baseball rosters, a little bit over 60%, actually came from the game of college, whether it was junior college or four-year colleges. So I think majority of your players are starting to come from college. I think it's easier to scout the kids because you get to see them play at a high level for three years before you draft them versus some of the high school kids that are out there. And so it's a, it's a really good game. Now the college world series was, was uh, electric again, Mississippi state of course won their first national title. We had big crowds uh, in Omaha again. And so it's good to see, but it was good to see because don't forget the season was canceled last year for all these kids in, in college. So to see them back out on the field for the first time to see fans in the stands, as we've seen here in Baltimore was a big deal for these kids, but all in all the college game continues to shoot up. A lot of people, when you came into this year, were probably thinking Kumar Rocker would probably go very quickly along with Jack Leiter in the draft. And you've seen those two pitch a lot. Um, it seems like maybe Jack Leiter wouldn't get to the Orioles. We talked to Jim Callis that maybe it'd be tough for him to get to that five spot. But we've seen Kumar Rocker drop on a number of mm. draft mocks so that he could get to the Orioles and the Orioles might end up passing. So for people that are on the, the Kumar Rocker train, when you see him drop on some of the mocks, what did you see out of him when you watched him pitch this year at Vanderbilt? Yeah, I think this time last year, Kumar was was projected to be, you know, the number one pick in the country. And really after his freshman year, I think he was projected to be that guy. Um, but this is what I saw from Kumar this year. <clears throat> I saw a guy that – and look, let me say this up front about Kumar. I think Kumar's a big leaguer. I think Kumar's going to pitch in the big leagues. But I didn't see for me, if I'm drafting at five and I'm the Orioles, I didn't see a big enough uptick for Kumar this year. In other words, I saw a guy who's pretty much the same fastball velocity-wise, maybe even a little bit less than what he had his freshman year. I felt like the slider's still the best pitch for him, but he never really developed guys a third and a fourth pitch for me. Like, we saw a few change-ups. I saw a few cut fastballs. But I didn't see enough of those pitches to say, yeah, Kumar's got three or four different pitches. So I almost feel like he hasn't gotten a whole lot better than what I saw in his freshman year when he pitched Vanderbilt to the national title and was the World Series MVP. But I still like him. I still think he's a big leader. But I can't pull the plug on him at number five. I just can't do it. I think Kumar's going to fall to probably somewhere between seven and ten in the draft. Now, Jack Leiter, first year we saw him in a complete season. We only saw him last year, his freshman year. For about 20 innings at Vanderbilt, you could tell it was pretty much elite stuff. But this year, he really turned the corner. I think the upside for him is much bigger. Um, 
the fastball plays better. It's a high spin rate fastball. And he struck out, you know, led the nation in strikeouts this year. Uh, the breaking ball is good. And there's more of an upside. Now, you'd say, well, he's not a big guy. And that is a little bit of a concern. But I'm going to tell you, Jack Leiter is a little thicker than what you think he is. Like the legs, the bottom half, the trunk area, and the core is really good for him. So uh, if it was me picking at five, I would not pass on Leiter. But again, like you said, Jeff, I don't think Leiter's there at five. So the question is, where do the Orioles go? We keep hearing Henry Davis, the catcher out of Louisville mentioned with the Orioles, and there's a quartet of high school shortstops that have shot up the draft board as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Orioles decide to do. Is it the best player available? They try to cut a deal with somebody at five, maybe take a guy that's projected nine or ten, like a Ty Madden from Texas, the university, the big right-hander. Their ace that was up to 98 miles an hour several times this year. It's interesting to see what the Orioles do. Yeah, it is interesting. There seems to be a hesitation, Ben, taking pitching in the top five. Not that it hasn't happened. I mean, Casey Mize a few years ago, and he's off to a great professional start with the Detroit Tigers. He went one overall. There's certainly exceptions to this, but it just seems like clubs are hesitant to take a pitcher in that first group. Why is that? I mean, you went 1-1. Why are, why are teams so hesitant? I think, you know, if you look at the history of the draft, and Michael Elias will tell you this, and Sig Dell will too, is that position players at the top of the draft have outperformed pitchers at the top of the draft. I think that's a big part of it. You know, with the injuries that are out there right now, um, I think that's a concern. So, and don't forget, I think Michael Elias, when they were at Houston, you know, they got burned on a couple of high draft picks, Mark Appel being one of them. I think there was another one along the way um that they got burnt on I say burnt I mean they were good picks coming out they just never panned out you know and I think they're just a safer bet is going with a position player now if there's a difference maker towards the top like Casey Myers was like head and shoulders above everybody else and Sig Mydell made it quite clear to me that listen if there's a guy that really stands out from a pitching standpoint a college arm or even a high school arm that really really is above everybody else we don't mind taking that jump with everything being pretty equal it almost feels like the Orioles just want to go with that position player route you know and there's a there's a high school arm out there guy Jackson Joe that is very intriguing I mean he's getting a lot of Dylan Bundy comps out of high school which Dylan Bundy was the highest rated high school arm ever in the history of the draft coming out and this kid's out of Oklahoma too and he has shot up the draft boards and He's not a big guy, six foot, six one, but they say athleticism is unbelievable. The arm really worked for him. It's exploding fastball. So all of a sudden, he was a, a guy that not many people were talking about about a month ago, but I see he's inside the top five now on a lot of mock drafts. So Jackson Job has come a long way. And another guy, Henry Davis is out there. I mean, he was one of the best hitters in, in the college game, probably had the best season start to end when he was playing mm-hmm. at Louisville in the ACC. Do you have a problem with the Orioles taking another guy who is a catcher, considering that they took Adley Rushman two years ago with that number one overall pick? Um, Do you have an issue with the Orioles pulling the trigger on a guy like Henry Davis at number five if he's there? Not so much. I mean, it it would be a little bit of a surprise, I think, if if the Orioles took another catcher after taking Rushman a couple years ago. But if you talk about potentially the best college bat that's out there, I am hearing a lot about Henry Davis's name now. From what I hear from a defensive standpoint, like the framing and the catching and the blocking skills need to get better for him. But another real athlete, I hear some pro scouts say that Henry Davis could be a guy that could play third base. He could play first base. You could even move him to the outfield because I think he had 18 stolen bases for Louisville this year. He's a 6'8 runner, guys, in the 60. Above average runner. He can really go, but they say the arm is elite. He can really throw. And the bat really works, too. So I guess it wouldn't be a shocker. I mean, 
the or let's be honest. I mean, the Orioles are going to have to inject, and that's what Mike Elias is doing. As much talent in this organization, and when they feel like they got a real shot to win, maybe they take some of these guys and they make a blockbuster trade for a starting pitcher or something. So it wouldn't be a shocker to me because I think he's one of those kids that could be an everyday catcher, but he's got a lot of work to do from a defensive standpoint as far as framing. You love the arm, but the bat, they, they, you know, most scouts feel like he's a 25 to 30 homer guy at the big league level. Like he can really swing the bat. So I don't think it'd be a shocker and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, are we going with the best available player out there? Do we have a long-term plan? And I think that's what we see in the draft room. And that's what Mike Elias and Sig and all the boys are doing right now is trying to crunch and try to say, okay, if this happens one through four in the draft, who's our best available player? And who are we going to take? Should be a whole lot of fun. We're just a few days away from the 2021 draft. I'm sure it brings back a lot of memories for Ben McDonald. Ben, we appreciate it so much. Thank you. Anytime, guys. All right, that was a lot of fun talking to Jim Callis and Ben McDonald talking about the draft. And we're going to take a week off for the All-Star break, recharge the battery a little bit. We're going to enjoy Trey Mancini. We're going to enjoy Adley Rutschman in the Futures game. We're going to enjoy Cedric Mullins starring in the Midsummer Classic. And then, uh, Jeff, we will talk to each other in the second half, and we'll have a lot more inside the yard coming up. But by the way, if you're feeling down a little bit and you want to catch up on old episodes, great time to do that. Our last few podcasts – Brad Selick, who's essentially the head of amateur scouting for the Orioles, the general manager, Mike Elias, and obviously we just had on Jim Callis. But a lot of really fun interviews that we've done already this year between Tyler Wells, a bunch of Orioles coaches, and, and going back to spring training. Uh, we, I really love what we've done since spring training, Jeff, bringing these episodes to you. Yeah, it's really exciting. We've had some great conversations with guys like John Means, who threw a no-hitter, which was fantastic. And Cedric Mullins talking transitioning to just being a left-handed hitter when we were down in spring training and then the draft coverage. I mean, Jim Callis always brings great stuff. We've had great insiders throughout the year. I love hearing from Big Ben McDonald as we get ready for this major league draft and a lot of great things still to come on Inside the Yard. This weekend, you're working on Mass and Television doing the play-by-play alongside Ben McDonald, and I'll have to babysit Kevin Brown for three days on the radio. So we'll have a lot of fun, and then we'll have a little bit of an all-star break. So, Jeff, enjoy your break. We'll catch up afterwards, and... Until then, let's enjoy the draft and all the all-star festivities. Absolutely, partner. We'll see you with you. Thank you guys so much for being with us.